Hello, welcome to my Camino the Podcast. I'm Dan Mullins. I'm a Sydney-based podcaster, musician, writer and producer. I speak with a pilgrim from around the world each week, the vast majority of whom have walked the famed Camino de Santiago or the way of St. James. The Camino is a network of pilgrimages spreading across Europe. The most popular Camino and most famous is the Camino Francaise, which leads to the Shrine of the Apostle St. James in the Cathedral of Santiago de Compostela in Galicia in northwestern Spain, where, history tells us, the remains of St. James or Santiago are interred. And the Camino Francaise begins in St. Jean-Pied-de-Port, a small riverside village on the French side of the Pyrenees. There are hostels aplenty, restaurants lining the cobblestone streets, and pilgrims from all over the world waiting to start their journey. You can get a train from Biarritz to St. Jean or a bus from Pamplona. I guarantee you'll meet someone on that passage of your Camino who will feature as part of your journey. It's simply the nature of the enterprise. My friend Tom Labazinski, a pilgrim from South Bend, Indiana in the United States, sent me a video this week. He took a camera with him and videoed pilgrims along the course of his Camino. And he asked them a simple question. Why are you walking the Camino? The answers were pretty straightforward, really. Walking to mourn a loved one. Walking to think about a new passage in life. Walking to paint. To draw. To find hope. To be a better person. Or walking to move closer to God. Walking to open a dialogue with God. Or perhaps walking to move away from God. But the one thing you'll find is you can't help being moved by the majesty of the journey. Millions of pilgrims have walked before you. It's said, St. James, who was one of Jesus' twelve apostles, left the Holy Land after Christ's death and resurrection and headed to Spain to preach Christianity. The locals were fighting a war and said, We like what you have to say, James, but we're just busy doing something else at the moment. James returned to the Holy Land and was beheaded by King Herod. He was martyred. His followers put his body in a stone boat and sailed his remains through the Mediterranean, out through the Straits of Gibraltar, into the Atlantic Ocean and up to Galicia. And they buried his body in a field. It was discovered by a shepherd in the 8th century. And a majestic cathedral was built to house his remains. That city is called Santiago de Compostela, St. James under a field of stars. I remember walking into a hostel on Rua du Vila, which is a street not far from the main square in Santiago. I handed the host my passport to book my room. It was my 50th birthday. I'd arrived earlier that morning just beside myself that I'd managed to be adventurous enough to be here in this wonderful city. The hostess turned to me and said, Welcome and happy birthday, pilgrim. (laughs) I took a shower and a short rest before venturing out onto the street. I knew no one, and it was my 50th birthday. Back home, I probably would have had a huge party. I'd have played in the band in the corner. It would have been epic. But here I was, eating a simple pasta, enjoying a Spanish red wine, and I couldn't be happier. I suppose happy is where we find ourselves this week, a focus on happy, and the sense of achievement the Camino can bring, and the happiness that resonates with you for days, months, and years to come. 
I'll get to this week's guest in a moment. His is a journey of courage, and he's so happy he's found himself on this Camino journey, as we all are. Australia is heading into autumn and winter. The Northern Hemisphere is emerging from the darkest winter. I offer my prayers for any of my listeners who have lost a loved one or who knows someone who has died from the coronavirus. A winter of hardship we've not seen in our lifetime. Unimaginable sadness and heartache. A year like no other. But spring has sprung. So can I simply say to my friends above the equator, you will soon be free to live and breathe the Camino again. Imagine how special your Camino will be once you've overcome this extraordinary interlude. I love that pilgrims across the world are walking virtual Caminos. They're walking in their local communities and plotting their journeys across the map of the Camino. To them I say, walk on. Strive to be the best version of you, just like you do on the Camino. Hold your sins in your hands and ask for forgiveness. Hold your dreams in your hands and ask for guidance. Hold your heart in your hands and thank God for love. The love of life, of adventure, of journeys, of Caminos and music. I was driving home from work this week when a song came on the radio and I felt a sense of Being overwhelmed, I felt an instant connection to you. I felt our community so strong. It's a year this week since I was in the United States to speak at the American Pilgrims on the Camino Conference in Lake Tahoe. I sat by the water's edge with my friends Brian Danker and Carl Stickelmeyer while they realised they'd both served in Vietnam. I watched as a snowstorm gathered on the horizon, the majesty of God's creation on a mammoth scale engulfed me. Here I was on the other side of the world, sharing a common journey with other pilgrims. How extraordinarily fortunate I was to be there, to share my journey and to share in others' journeys. I can't thank you enough for inviting me to be part of your journey. I pinched myself to think there are people listening to me now in towns and cities and communities I've never heard of and never will. I hope to visit them all one day. I thought about all of that and more as a song rang out from my car speakers. When you through a storm Would you hear up high And don't be afraid of the dark at the end of a storm is a golden sky and the sweet still song of a love Walk on Through the wind Walk on Through the rain Though 
My guest this week knows all about walking on. Brian Stewart wrote to me a few weeks ago to tell me his story, his journey. He's weathered a different type of storm, head held high, and he's on the line. Welcome, Pilgrim. Hi, Dan. Thanks for having me on the show today. I was struck by the blog that you wrote while you walked the Camino, uh, and because it started with the line, I live with Becker muscular dystrophy. Let's start there. What is Becker muscular dystrophy? Well, uh, Becker muscular dystrophy is a neuromuscular disease that um, affects the muscles. Um, It's a progressive genetic condition. So um, I inherited it from my mother who was a carrier. She didn't know she was a carrier at the time. Um, And when I was about eight years old, I started having trouble walking up hills, walking up steps, running. And so we went to the doctor and it turned out that I had... um, Becker muscular dystrophy. How old were and, you? Sorry to interrupt you, but how old were you when you were diagnosed? I was eight years old. Right. Right. Eight years old. So go on. Then, then you, you realized you, you sort, I guess it sort of answered some of those questions, did it, that you had? Yeah. It, it kind of answered why I was having trouble, like, keeping up running with other kids and climbing steps and things like that were difficult for me. And I grew up in, like, in a very... Um, adventurous kind of traveling family. So we did a lot of hiking. Um, so it, it was obvious that I had trouble keeping up with the rest of my family. So there's always a obvious something was wrong with me. So with the diagnosis, it kind of answered that question. And what the condition does, it's um, progressive. So over time, I get weaker and weaker as it goes on. So it's, it's obvious that in the future, at some point, I'm going to be in a wheelchair. It might not catch up to me until I'm in my 60s or around that time. But it's kind of unknown really what the progression is because everyone who has it, it progresses differently with them. Mm. Mm. And how old are you now? I am 27. 27. Okay. Because um, all of my listeners will know Justin Skisa. Um, Justin and his friend Patrick who did the Camino and Patrick pushed Justin. And Justin also, I think, 
has MDA as well, doesn't he? Is that's the same condition that sees him? He has, yeah, it's a different kind. I think it's called it's it's called MAMA for short, M A M A. Right. I forget the exact um, terminology what it's called, but, but yeah, that's a more severe condition. It's more similar to ALS. Right. And mine is much more mild. Right. Um, I don't know if you know the condition. It's called a Duchenne muscular dystrophy. That's like the more well-known one. Yeah. That's like, it's the same type of disease as Becker, but it's like more severe. Right. And people like that usually are in a wheelchair by the time they're like 10 years old or something like that. There you go. Um, yeah. But for Becker, it's much more of a mild progression. Mm-hmm. Um, so I might not be in a wheelchair until I'm 60 years old. So it's kind of – maybe able to do more things now than people with other forms of muscular dystrophy. So – yeah. So tell us then how you discovered the Camino and and then you might go a bit further and tell us what your motivation was. It's kind of, I don't really have like one definitive moment where like I realized about the Camino. I was kind of always aware of it. I remember I picked up the book, um, The Pilgrimage by uh, Paulo Coelho. Of course. Yeah. I think it's like Paulo Coelho, yeah. Uh, I read that, I didn't finish it. I read that like when I was a teenager um, and I was kind of always, I knew the Camino existed and when I was like maybe in my 20s, I started looking at different trails around the world that maybe I could hike one day. I kind of had the Camino in the back of my mind. So I was doing research and I kind of re-stumbled onto it yeah. a couple of years before I actually did the Camino in 2017. And then you, what was it that prompted you to, 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 to get there, to do it? What was it, that, that sort of light bulb moment? Um, well, I kind of knew my condition was slowly progressing. I was having more trouble walking up steps, um, walking really long distances. I would feel myself getting more tired. Um, so I kind of knew that, you know, maybe in five more years, it might be out of my ability to do something like that. Mm-hmm. So I had the time off from work. I was working a part-time job, so I didn't really have to worry about uh, vacation days. I could take off time as I needed it. So I was in a position where I could just kind of take off seven weeks to like the Camino. So I just kind of jumped on the opportunity while I, I had it. So paint a picture for us, if you, if you would be so kind, Brian. I, it's not, not, not particularly sort of empathetic on my part, but how do you, do you walk easily? Do you walk with, with, e- with ease? Yeah. I mean, for the most part, yes. Mm. Uh, you might not notice right away that something's wrong. Mm. Um, I kind of walk, my legs are kind of stiff when I walk a little bit. Mm. So if you really watch me walk, you'll probably think, oh, he walks a little weird. Um, you might not think much about it, but when you see me walk up hills or up steps, that's when you really notice that something is not right. I have to really, when I go up steps, I have to kind of pull myself up, up by the handrails. So it's kind of uh, tricky for me. And so, um, did, so did you do the Camino easily or was it very difficult? It was very, very difficult. <laughs> I struggled the whole way. I had to crawl at several points. Right. Um, I relied on help here and there from passing pilgrims. It, it really challenged me. <laughs> Yeah, and so in the process of this journey, um, what did you hope to achieve, do you think, Brian? It's, I just kind of wanted to, I don't want to say just test myself, but I just wanted to just prove that I could do something I set my mind on, even though it was difficult. I just wanted to have an adventure while I still could, you know? Yeah, have an adventure while I still could. I just wonder then what it meant to you to be able to complete it. It must have been quite something. Yeah, it's, it was kind of – I was kind of at a loss of words at the end. I didn't really 
know how to put it into words. It was yeah. it was exciting to have finished it, but it was kind of I, I don't know. It just felt it it was nice just to feel like I was just another pilgrim at the very end that I didn't feel like special. I mean, I mean it was like, hard for me to fin- do that on my own, but it was. I felt like I feel like everyone has their own struggles on the Camino, and it's it didn't really make me any different. The fact that I had muscular dystrophy, and it was more hard for me, but it, it's I don't think it really defined me on the journey. Yeah, I don't think it would have either. I think pilgrims are pretty welcoming, and and there are all sorts of shapes and sizes, and people doing it easier than others. That's for sure. But what did the yeah. doc- what did the doctors say to you when you? sort of told them that you were going to do it. Did did they suggest it was a bad idea or? Yeah. I mean, I, it's, it's ill-advised for someone with muscular dystrophy to, I think, push themselves that hard. Um, it's, they just said, you know, just take your time, go slow. That's really the best you can do. Um, because it, with the muscles, like if you push your muscles too hard, you can damage your muscles and it can make them difficult to repair. So it's just a matter, I just had to, pace myself and kind of move my own pace, um, not push myself too hard and just kind of take it a day at a time. Yeah. Uh, and and l- let's talk about the logistics of it. Um, you, you said there a, a little while ago that you, you crawled for parts of it. What, yeah. Like, like literally crawled. Literally crawled. Yeah. There's a couple of parts there um, where I had to kind of drag my pack up. It was like spots where there was like kind of steps or like hills where I really had to step over rocks i had to basically just crawl and drag my pack um up some places there yeah i wrote i read rather uh what you wrote uh, and you put um people cannot always choose their burdens but they can choose how they carry them when i put my rock down at the cruise de ferro it was not to let go of a burden but to swap it for the truth i let go of the past and embraced the present that's that's a very moving thing to write brian was that something you had considered before you arrived at the cruise de ferro or was that something you realized at the time here i'm letting go of the past and looking at the future i want to say a little bit of both mm. i mean i kind of knew that letting go of the rock at cruise de ferro represents letting go of a burden and i was kind of asking myself you know what's my burden on the camino and it was obvious my burden is having muscular dystrophy. That's that's my burden. And when I got to the cross, I really kind of realized that it's not something I can let go. I can't let go of that. It's with me for the rest of my life. So you kind of have to embrace it. You can't just let that go. You have to embrace that or else you're going to go down a really dark path. <laughs> well, that's it. You said the only other option was a dark path of denial. Did you, well, let's take a step back to when you were diagnosed. Were you in denial at some stage there? How have you dealt with this, I guess, the cards that you've been placed in front of you? How have you dealt with it? It it took me a while kind of to register with me growing up. You know, it was something I kind of grew up with. It was, I was always, you know, I couldn't keep up with other kids, so I was used to being kind of slow, um, it wasn't until I was like a teenager where I really started doing research on my own and kind of realized that what a life of muscular dystrophy is going to be like in the longer run. Um, so it was kind of 
it was a slow process. It wasn't like this one moment where like I had a diagnosis and I realized right then and there what the life was, my life was going to be like. Yeah. It was kind of like over my life as I grew up, I kind of learned what, what that was going to mean for the future. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I guess that it, you truly do have to come to terms with it, don't you? You'd, yeah. You don't have a choice. I mean, even if I'm going to be a wheelchair when I'm, when I'm 60, I mean, it's a long ways away, but still you have to come to terms with that. You have to realize that it's, it's going to get harder before then. It's, it's going to progress. It's not going mm. to be mm. easy all, all these years. Yeah. I, I read somewhere else that you wrote that the, your slow pace, perhaps even about as half as fast as, in, as the other pilgrims on the Camino, you, your pace was about half their speed. You said it, it, it meant that it made difficult to make friendships because people would think, oh, I can't stay with this guy. It's going to take me forever to get to the end. But then you met a very friendly American pilgrim, uh, I think on the Pyrenees, was it? Uh, yeah, I met him in the Pyrenees. Yeah, it was, um, his name was Don. He's from South Carolina. Mm. Um, and he said something to me. He's, I was talking to him. So I, just, I was with um, his mother and daughter from Norway, who I walked with um, over the Pyrenees and a couple of days afterwards. And, you know, I was telling Don, it's kind of hard to keep up with people. It's kind of, um, it's frustrating. And he said, and I said that my pace is so slow. And he said that there's no such thing as slow in the community. There's only your own pace. Yeah. Um, he said, we all have our own difficulties. We all deal with them in our own ways. So yeah. I, that was kind of a moment where I was like, yeah, it's all about your own pace. You have to find the pace that works for me, for you. Yeah. And, and I, I liked where you said um, that Don's words resonated with you because focusing on your own pace would become your mindset as other pilgrims came in and out of your journey. Has that been a kind of message for your life? Yeah, it's about focusing on your own pace. I mean, everyone kind of moves at life in life at their own pace. Um, and for me with Mastrishafi, it's I can't keep up, keep up with everyone else. So it's you have to kind of embrace that mindset of moving at your own pace, I think. Yeah, and you said the difficulty people have in focusing on their own pace in life relates to the problem of understanding strength. Most people, including you, see themselves as weak in comparison to someone who is stronger. But on the Camino, you realize that the idea of being weak only holds true when you do compare yourselves to others. If it's just you, you, you're you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think a lot of people's idea of strength is, you know, being stronger than someone else. It's being the strongest you can in comparison to other people. But I think you can be just as strong by looking at your own strength, by accomplishing something that you set your mind on by yourself. Yeah, yeah. And it must have been a terrific awakening to realize uh, that your disability did little to define you. Yeah, as I was saying before, like everyone has their own burdens on the Camino. Everyone kind yeah. of has their own difficulties and it doesn't make me any different than anyone else because my difficulties are different than someone else's. Did you do much research before you went? Um, not a whole lot. I mean, I bought a guidebook. And I kind of had that as, as my guide. I didn't really plan like where I was staying each night. I kind of just knew I would walk at my own pace and just kind of hope that things would kind of come together as I, as I went along. Tell us about arriving in Santiago de Compostela. It, it was a pretty triumphant feeling just being at the end of that, just knowing that I had gone all that way. Um, 
I was just kind of a loss of words, I think, when I finally got there in the end. Yeah. And yet you you went back again, didn't you? Yeah. Um, so so when I got to Santiago, I didn't – I initially wanted to walk to Finisterre uh, when I got to Santiago, um, but I was in so much pain with my – I had some knee pain by the time I got to the end that I really couldn't walk to Finisterre um, by the time I got to Santiago. So I knew I wanted to come back and – do the walk to Finisterre. So it was the next summer, 2018, where I did the Portuguese Camino and I started in Porto, walked to Santiago, then did the walk to Finisterre. Um, and it, yeah, I just kind of felt like I had unfinished business when I finished Camino in 2017. I just knew I had to go back to do that, that last little stretch to Finisterre. So why? What, what unfinished business? I, I don't know. I, I just, I kind of... Like it was, it was great to reach Santiago, but it, I wasn't. I just felt like something was missing. Still, I didn't know what it was. Mm. Um. So when I got to the, in 2018, when I back to Camino, um. I planned to actually when I walked to Finisterre, I planned to walk the Trail of Muxia, and then I was going to do a loop back down to Santiago, and then do the portion of the Camino Inglés. Um. But when I got to Finisterre, I kind of just realized that that was. I just felt like it was done. I realized that the Camino had given me kind of everything that I needed to get from it in a way. I think that's what I was, that's the feeling that I, unfulfilled feeling that I had when I first finished the Camino in 2017. It just, I needed to reach the end. I needed to reach a point where I realized I got everything I wanted to get out of the Camino. Yeah. And yet when you're at, at Finisterre, it's, you said, you said something to yourself, about the place at the end of the earth, and you said, "I want to go home." Yeah, I just, I just realized I had, I just reached the end. I was done walking on the Camino. Yeah, you said it out loud. Yeah, I, I always stand there. I remember I was watching the sunrise, and I was just like, "I want to go home." I just, it's that was the end. I was, I was done. Yeah, <laughs> that's fantastic. You said in, in the blog, there are pilgrims who walk to deal with grief and others who simply seek to rediscover meaning in their lives. But you said the only thing to do on the Camino is to find a path that works, whether you have to be carried or crawl. Finding a path that works doesn't necessarily have to be a message for the Camino, does it? It could be life. Yeah, no, it's, it's not just on the Camino. That, that's, that's life in general. I don't think that changes from the Camino to real life. Yeah, 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 yeah. Tell us how the Camino uh, appears in your day-to-day life. I think the biggest way it appears is it's just making the most out of every day. Uh-huh. You know, we, we don't know how much time we have in this world, and it's just you want to make sure you make every day and every moment last. Yeah. Every moment count. Yeah. Um, and it's just, you know, every day doing something that you can be proud of. There'll be people listening, Brian, who are wondering about the day-to-day. Uh, did you stay in albergues? Yeah, I stayed in albergues basically every night of the whole Camino. Tell us about the pack. How heavy was your pack? Um, how heavy was my pack? I think it was about, with food and water, it was about 16 pounds. I'm not sure what that translates to in, uh, uh, in metric, yeah, but yeah, a, so it was a... yeah. It's about eight, um, eight kilos. Yeah, so it wasn't, yeah, about eight kilos. So it wasn't super heavy, but it wasn't super light. It was, I think, a pretty standard 
uh, wave a pack for a pilgrim. Yeah, yeah. Tell us about breaking your stick. Yeah. Um, at one point, I was I was walking with another American couple um, from Florida, and you know, I was walking. I fall a lot in the Camino. I, I tripped and fell hundreds of times, countless times. And one of my falls, uh, I fell in my my hiking pole, got bent in half. The whole metal shaft was just completely broken, and it was was useless. So the guy I was walking with, the husband and wife, the guy gave me his hiking pole. He was like, you need it more than me. <laughs> Take it. Um, yeah, so I had had his pole for the last – it was I was within the last 100 kilometers when that happened, so it was towards the end. Yeah. Um, then the funny thing that happened was after I broke my pole and left it behind, next day in the trail I was walking, and I see a pilgrim come up behind me, and he has my my red hiking pole. He has it. He fixed it. He made it into the right shape. And he was injured because he needed two poles. So I, my pole was helping this guy. Wow. He really needed it. How you go? Yeah, it was just like that moment kind of represented the Camino. It's just about everything that kind of works out. And so you met lots of fantastic people along the way, didn't you? Yeah, so many people. So many people who helped me um, at all different points in the journey. How good are you at accepting help from others? That's that's a good question. Um, when it, I first started off in the Camino, uh, it took me a, a few few times to kind of adjust to having someone help me. You know, even though I have a disability, it's I'm still a very um, independent kind of mindset, an independent person. Yeah. Um, so it took a while for me to adjust to you know reaching for someone's hand, going up a hill, having someone carry my pack, mm. and that kind of took that took a lot of strength to to adjust to that. Yeah. Yeah. You said in one of your blogs, my experience changed me and I do not think I will ever be able to look at the world the same way I did before the Camino facing such difficult challenges and accepting the help of others is so humbling. That's, that's a, that's a wonderful realization, isn't it? Yeah. I kind of realized in the Camino that we're all kind of in this together. It's, we're all here to help each other. You don't have to be afraid of someone when you need help. It's just help is there when you need it. You just have to ask. And you said at many points on the Camino, when you thought about how much people had helped you, you wondered how you had helped others. Exactly. Um, I thought about that quite a bit. I, I think the way I helped others was by letting them help me. I think by letting someone help you, you, you bring them joy, you bring them happiness by letting someone, you know, come to your need when you're in help. Yeah, yeah. And and you said, and I love this, you said people seem to be happier when they're helping others and, and happiness is one of the greatest gifts we can give. Yeah, I think that's completely true. I think mm. it's, you know, that's the closest you can get to, you know, to someone is when you're helping them. Yeah. And it really builds a strong bond when you're with someone or something like that. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's right. Uh, for my listeners um, wondering what the background noise is, they're renovating the house next to my little studio in Sydney and the builders are pulling apart the roof. Good timing, guys. And it might... <laughs> so I'm sorry about the background noise. It shouldn't be too bad. You said the Camino can be emotionally draining and being with someone and helping them creates an environment where no one feels alone. No one in this life is alone. And when people start to realize that, the world becomes a better place. 
Is that always been your philosophy or did you realize that on the Camino? I think I realized that on the Camino. I think I realized that it's, you know, we're all kind of here to help each other. And just being in a place where I needed help, it just forced me to, to realize that. Yeah, because I, I know that um, Justin and Patrick um, wrote a note for you um, when you finished your Camino and they said there are, we're amazed at what you accomplished, you know, pushing through struggle and fear and pain and exhaustion. You've done something incredible. But I like this that they said, you know, the thoughts you shared on your blog and everything have been profound, but perhaps the most impactful is the reminder of the power that exists in human connection. It's so true, isn't it? Yeah, no, I agree. It's, it's you really learn a lot. And you said we must willingly receive what is given for that happiness and joy to flourish. Fantastic. Have you got a Camino story for me? There was a moment on the Camino, I, I think it was a moment where it, I really hit the lowest point in the Camino, I think, mentally, where I really needed to pick myself up. Uh, it was a moment I, I got in a bed bug infestation oh. <laughs> on the Camino, and I was just covered in welts all over. I was, had a bad infestation. It was in everything. I had hundreds of bites on my body. And yeah, so I was covered in bites. It was a few days had happened since I got the infestation, so... I was already just miserable. Um, and then I got food poisoning <laughs> uh, at this restaurant at this, in this one small village I was in. And it was just vomiting and like diarrhea, like the worst food poisoning ever. And it was just, it was just, I just wanted to go home. It was just, <laughs> I mean, I'd been through so much already, you know, yeah. I had struggled physically. And then to have this happen to me, it was just like, I had to ask myself, why am I here? It was just, that was kind of rock bottom for me in the Camino. And then I got through that and I realized that, yeah, I was going to make it. I was going to, I was going to get through this. Yeah. And what a wonderful achievement when you did. How fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Will you go back? Um, I don't know. I, I'm not opposed to going back to Camino one day. Um, I'm kind of not, I'm not really in a point in my life now where I can take off <laughs> all the time, whatever I want. Yeah. Um, I'm not working part-time jobs anymore. So I kind of, in America, you don't really get um, months off. You get like two or three weeks here and there. So it's hard to get big vacations. But I, I don't know. I don't think it's, it's out of the possibility of me going back to Camino one day. We'll see, see what happens. Well, I hope our paths cross. And if they do, I hope it's on the Camino, my friend. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us, Brian. Buen Camino. Buen Camino. My guest this week was Brian Stewart. I have a friend who has a little hostel in Rabanel del Camino. It's called the Stone Boat. Kim runs a small hostel full of love and magic. And she writes verse on stones as gifts. I have the lyrics to Somewhere Along the Way on a stone hanging in my backyard right now. And people comment on it all the time. Well, I saw a piece of Kim's work this week. It was the Rumi poem. Come, come, whoever you are, wanderer worshipper, lover of leaving. It doesn't matter. Ours is not a caravan of despair. Come, even if you have broken your vows a thousand times. Come, yet again. Come, come. And so we wait to go back to the Camino. It's only a matter of time. Thanks for joining me this week and every week. 
Uh, I have an album on sale right now. You can buy it. Just go to danmullinsmusic.com and click on the links. I'd love you to add it to your spring or summer playlist post-COVID collection. (laughs) I'll leave you with a song I wrote about seeing St. Mary watching over me on the Camino, telling me to push on, telling me everything's going to be okay, seeing my tears of happiness. Until next week, I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Camino.